Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold, like their mother, the youngest one in curls. How many of you ever seen that old sitcom, right? Come on, come on, let me see hands. Let me just see hands. I actually ran into somebody I had no idea today. Me and Tommy even sang the song for her, and she still didn't know what in the world that is all about. Go, come on, somebody, anybody got TV land around here, Hub or something, you know, that you can, you can watch some of the good old ones? Okay, Carol Brady. Uh, let's, go, let's go on to our first picture. Carol Brady. Uh, she's the mother of the Brady Bunch. Now, I know, I know, I know, some of you may say, well, my mom wasn't Carol Brady. Okay, your mom wasn't Carol Brady. Chances are, you weren't the Brady kids either, right? They were pretty, I mean, I started to show you a bunch of pictures of them, but you just need to remember that, I mean, these kids, it didn't matter what they were doing, they were always dressed. Uh, You know, they were working in the yard, they looked like they were, you know, going to school, you know, in their yard. Anybody remember about their yard? How it was always perfect? I mean, the grass looked perfect. Because it was AstroTurf, and it was obvious that it was AstroTurf. I mean, you know, this was the 70s. You know, it wasn't like back when it had, you know, like today, it has to look, even, even if it is fake, it's supposed to look like it's not fake. I mean, it's almost like they didn't even care. I mean, they're out there, you know, mowing the lawn, and there's nothing to mow. And, you know, so, you know, everything looked perfect. And that's why Carol, you know, Mrs. Brady, she could look perfect. But perfect is not the same as flawless. It doesn't mean the same thing. Only in the life of Jesus does the word perfect mean flawless because he had no flaws. He had no imperfections. He had no sin. He was tempted in all points just like you and I were, but he'd never sinned. But Carol, I mean, you know, anybody could be a Carol Brady if they had the life Carol Brady had. You know, that life comes at you in 22-minute segments. I mean, you know, that's how long a sitcom is when you take out all the commercials, something like that. I mean, if, you know, mom's life doesn't happen in 22-minute segments, does it? I mean, you know, it just keeps rolling at you, right? And, you know, all your problems are solved in 22 minutes, you know. And if, and if one of those six kids gets out of line and one, I mean, you know, they're back in line within 22 minutes and everybody's good and everybody's wonderful. I mean, any, anybody could be a perfect mom in that. But that's just not the way life works. And that's why today, you know, I don't want to give you the saccharine, you know, mom of, uh, of all those beautiful words that we were saying. I, I, I want to talk about real moms today. Real moms. Thank God for real moms. And uh, when I think of real moms, you know, I got to go to the mother of mother of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Mary. She is she is an example of a real mom. We don't have a lot written about her, and most of what we think about Mary, we think about in those first few moments uh, uh, that we get, are introduced to her, you know, in, in the very beginnings of the, uh, of the story of the life of Jesus before he was born, when, when she finds out she's going to give birth to the Son of God, and th- that's what we know most about her, but there, there are three places in Scripture that, that we see some other things, that she was a real mom that had to deal with real issues and sometimes real disappointments. I mean, even, even though Jesus, yes, he was the Messiah, he is the Son of God, the, the calling that he had on his life, the teachings that he had to, to speak in the face of the opposition, the opposition, the enemies that he had that wanted to kill him, it was not easy to be the mother of the Messiah. You get it? And, and, and some of you moms, you know what, where I'm going with this, don't you? Sometimes it's not easy to be the mom. But I, I, I don't know that I've ever talked to a mom that didn't say, it's the best job in the world. For Mary, she had to deal with things. Let me, let me take you. Luke chapter 2, verse 48 and 49. It says, when his parents, this is when Jesus was 12 years old, 
They kind of got lost from him, and when they finally found him, his parents saw him. They were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, she's talking about Joseph, and he's talking about God, the father, because he's in the, he's in the temple and he's, he's teaching the teachers. He's asking questions of the teachers. He's challenging them. And, and, and so they've gotten lost from him and now they finally found him and she's like frantic. Ever been there, mom? Any, uh, no, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but uh, you know, don't raise your hand, but any of you ever left your kids somewhere, you know, and you're frantic trying to get back, you know, it's, uh, here for three days they had traveled and didn't realize he wasn't there. I mean, you know, uh, she, could, she couldn't be put up for the Mom of the Year Award, could she? I mean, if for three days she didn't know that he wasn't with the cousins or somebody, you know, you can't, you can't be, but that's what happened. And then when she finally finds him, you know, she, she just wants to, you, you know what happens at those moments, right? When you find that kid, and especially if, if, like, he was off doing his thing. I mean, it wasn't that she left him so much as, as she didn't make sure he was there, but, but he had chosen to be somewhere else. And it's like, well, you, you finally find that kid after you've left him somewhere. You finally find him, and, and it's like, you don't know whether you want to hug him or kill him. Right? And there's, there's no doubt this is what she was dealing with. It's like, well, why have you done this? I want to hug you, but why have you done this to us? And then he kind of like said, well, why, why were you so upset? You knew I had to be in my father's house. And that had to be a challenge to her. You know, and I wonder sometimes, and it says that she just pondered all these things in her heart, but I wonder how that must have hurt her at the same time for him to just kind of rebuff her so easily. Let's go, second, second uh, scriptures in the book of Matthew, chapter 12. And um, Jesus is, is ministering, and somebody comes to him and says, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he starts talking about how, how, how the people around him, these are the family that God has given him, that everyone is a family. And everybody, that, that's, that, that's gotta hurt. I mean, when you're the mom and you hear, and you hear him say, well, these are all of my family. Uh, you say my mom's out there, you say my brother's, but these are all my family. Everyone is my family. That's gotta hurt. That's gotta cut to the quick. I, I know some of you moms, you, you've been hurt like that. You've been, you've been cut where, where, you know, it's not that they just don't pick up the phone and call you. It's like, you know, sometimes it, it seems like they couldn't care. I know some of you have been hurt that way. The mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, she had to have been, she had to have been conflicted in all of this and wanting to embrace it. And, and, and yet at the same time, feeling put off. And then back to chap, uh, Luke chapter 11. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you and nursed you. Now they would say, oh, you know, you're so awesome. Blessed must, you know, the mother of you must be truly blessed. And Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. We don't know that, that, that Mary was standing there in the crowd and heard this thing, but, but th- these are the things that Jesus said. This is the way he responds. It's like, you know, blessed is not the one who gives birth to me, but blessed is the one who receives me today. But if, if word got back to her, I, I just got to imagine, you know, these, these kinds of things, that, that these are three that we know of, and maybe there were many other times where, where she, she was the mother, but she felt like, I'm not a part of his life, and, and he's given himself so much to everyone else. That these kinds of things hurt. And, and moms, I, I don't know what you've dealt with, and not just moms, but every one of us. I don't know what you've dealt with. But when you get in these times of pain, you get in these times of anguish, you get in these times of, of not being, being fulfilled because it's not working out the way you thought it would, and, and, and you're not getting your just you know, reward of, of everything you poured into this kid, and it's like they're more interested in everything else and everybody else, and you, know, you might get a card on Mother's Day or something, and that seems like just to be about it. But there's something special about moms. 
You see, that's one of the reasons we love moms so much. That's one of the reasons God gave us moms so much. Is for moms, it's not about those things. And it would be really easy probably for Mary to have said, well, forget you. And we look around and we see some, sometimes in society, in the culture we live in today, we see some moms that appear to be saying, forget you. But one of the greatest assets God ever gave to moms is follow through. You see, Mary had made a commitment to God. I think we got the verse there, verse 38. This is when, when, when God has, has, sent, has sent the angel and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And she's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's like, back up. Let, let's talk about this a little bit. Maybe even let's think about, maybe even let's negotiate. Are, are, are you sure I'm the one? Are you really sure? Angel, did you get the right address when God said, come speak to me? And, you know, and so, so maybe she's, but eventually, verse 38, she says, okay. And she accepts the call, the challenge, and she knows the commitment. She doesn't know what it's going to cost, but what mother does? I mean, what mother? Come on, mom, especially some of you who are older, maybe grandmoms or great-grandmoms right now, you could say, yeah, there is no mom that goes home from the hospital, that little bundle of joy, really understanding what it means to commit to say, I'm going to be a mom. Mary didn't know, but follow through. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a lot of time here. I, I'd like to spend a lot of time on just Mary here, but let me try to wrap this up by saying it this way. Watch Mary. Because we see Mary at the lowest time of the life of Jesus. Can you imagine standing and watching your son be nailed to the cross? Can you imagine standing and watching him die and bleed his last drop of blood and breathe his last breath? And that even while he's dying, they're still mocking him and teasing him and ridiculing him. Cursing him. Can you imagine? And she stood there and said, how in the world could she do that? I mean, Jesus would have forgiven her if she'd have said, look, Jesus, I, I, I just can't watch this part of your life. Don't you think he would have forgiven her if she couldn't have been there? But that's the mom. That's what mom, I mean, mom's, she's the last one, right? Isn't she the last one to give up? Isn't she when everybody else has, has said, oh, they'll, they'll never amount to anything? Mom is still believing, still hoping, and still praying. Thank God. I, I, listen to me, mom, and tell you, thank God for you. Thank God we have real moms who know that the world is a real place. It's not a sitcom. Everything doesn't come all packaged neatly and, and scripted out where everything's going to work out. Thank God we've got real moms. And so I want to encourage you, mom, that if, 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 it's, getting, if it's getting hard, if it's getting tough, if it's, if, it, if it's getting deep, if it's getting to be a struggle, hang in there because that's what God called you to be, to be the mom who, who's always there, the real mom who understands this is real. And this is not about just, you know, whether we're going to get an Academy Award or, or an Emmy or something at the end of the day, but, uh, but this, this has real implications as to how my kid ends up being an adult and how they treat others and how they are successful in life and ultimately where they spend eternity and where their soul will be. So moms, I want to encourage you today. Thank God for you. Thank God for the real moms, not the ones who want to be the buddies, but the ones who say, I don't care what it feels. I don't care if you don't listen to me today, but you're going to hear the words I say. Thank God for real moms. Thank God God didn't give us sitcom moms. Thank God he didn't give us reality TV moms. Okay, now listen. No letters, emails, or phone calls about this, okay? Y'all know who this is, right? Anybody? 
I think there was, she, they had the whole, uh, uh, whole, whole um, just one after the other yes, yesterday. We got home and, and, uh, and they just had a marathon of, of uh, what, 19 kids and counting? Is that what it's called? I, it's on at my house so much, I don't know why I don't know this immediately. You know, I ought to be able to rattle off the names of the kids too, right? Uh, but 19 kids and counting. Michelle Duggar. Okay, now listen, I, like I said, I, y'all, don't, y'all don't crucify me over this one, okay? But, but just, let me, just go with me here, what I'm trying to explain to you. It's, here's this woman who's got 19 kids. And I look and say, why? She's putting her own life in jeopardy every time she births one of these kids. And, and she went for number 20, but the, the child was, was born really early, really early and, and was still born. That's what I understand. And so, why, why? And so, and so then, I, then I look at society and I say, oh, that's why. You know, it's because, man, we're always, we're always putting emphasis on bigger is better, right? And we're always telling you, you know, you know if you're married, well, you're a wife. You, you know, you're not anybody important. You're a wife. You know, you're Mr. So-and-so's wife until you have kids, and then you're these kids' mom, you know, and that's what gives you identity, you know. It's almost like, and that seems so archaic, but it's still around. It's still around. Come on, any of you young ladies, you've heard the old, nosy, busy bodies? You better hurry, sweetheart. The clock is ticking, clock is ticking, clock, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible, the pressure we put on each other sometimes, right? And even pastors, pastors who say, come on now, if you don't have kids, you are not treating your parents right by not giving them grandkids. (laughs) Emma, you ever heard a pastor say anything like that? Yeah, that's, that's a little inside joke between me and Emma. I guess it's not inside anymore. It's out and everybody knows it, yeah. So yeah, we do that, don't we? We put that kind of pressure. And back in the Old Testament, let me tell you, it was, it was even worse. It was even worse. And that's exactly where poor little Hannah found herself. Poor little Hannah. She was the, the mother of Samuel, but not at first. She was barren. Uh, some, of the, some of the Jewish law of that time, the Jewish kind of custom tradition, not what God said, but what their custom and tradition more of that was their kind of their oral traditions, not their written law from God, said that if a man married a woman and she was childless for 10 years, he, he shouldn't, he, he's, not, he's not just allowed to have another wife to give him kids, he is, he's, is strongly suggested to have, get another wife to have kids because he is supposed to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And so this is probably what happened to Hannah, that after 10 years she had had no kids, and so her husband Elkanah, he had to go get another wife, Penina. And Penina, she started having kids. She was fruitful. She was multiplying. She was replenishing the earth. And you know, but, but Hannah was the one that he had taken first. So no doubt Hannah was closer to his heart. And no doubt Penina saw that. And so, so Penina, she was trying to get in there in between. And so she would tease her. She would tease Hannah, especially every year when they would go to the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, Peninnah would taunt Hannah, make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. And in the next few verses, we see this is how Hannah would, would, would go to the temple and she would pray and she would pray in her tears and in her anguish and, and because she was hurting so bad because, because all of the culture, the society was telling her then, you're nobody because you don't have kids. You are barren. You are empty. There's nothing coming out. You're, what are you good for? You know, and she was teased even by 
this other wife that was in her marriage with her husband that loved her so much. And, and he even told her, he, he said, listen, Hannah, don't you know I love you? I love you so much. He gave, gave, even gives her a double portion of the gifts that he gives to Penina because he wants her to know, I still, I love you, whether you have children or not. But the culture around her was pointing and was saying, and so she would just, she would just break down in tears every time they went to the temple. And Eli, the, pro, uh, the, uh, the high priest, he, the prophet, the high priest, he, he, he would see her crying this way. And, and, and right here in this particular situation, he thought she was drunk. And he got on to her and said, why in the world would you show up drunk here and do that? You need to put away that. And she says, oh, no, oh, no. And so she explained to him what was going on. And then Eli speaks to her. Our next verse is what's verse 20. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 17, 18. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Now, what is he saying? Is he saying, I hope? Sounds like he's issuing a prophecy. He's the high priest. He is the prophet of God. He says, go. God grant you the request you're making. And what does she do? And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Okay, listen, there's something happening around 2911. There's something happening because I, I am hearing a lot of you talking. And you know what's happening? People are beginning to hear the voice of God for themselves. Thank God. I'm hearing, you know, and, and here's the difference. See, there's, there are people all over the world today that are going to churches and, and they walk in and they sit down and most of them are listening to a sermon. They hear a sermon. That's what they hear. They, they hear a sermon. On the way out the door, they might shake the pastor's hand and say, good sermon, pastor. It was a sermon. But, but, but we, we've really been pushing this a lot lately. And some of you are beginning to catch it and you're beginning to hear. It's, it's, it's not that. And listen, see, if you're just hearing a sermon, you might hear something that says, hmm, that was pretty good. You might take that home. But when you start saying, God, I got to hear from you. See, this is what Hannah did. When, when, when Hannah was, was distraught, didn't know what else to do. She didn't, you know, get out the TV guide and try to find Dr. Phil and see what Dr. Phil had to say. You know, she didn't Google it, you know, and try to, you know, talking about in those days, I don't know where she'd have gone, but she didn't go for the help in any of those places. She went to God. And when she made her petition to God, she had her eyes open and she was waiting to see, okay, where is God going to answer? And as soon as Eli said, your petition be granted to you, that was enough. She went home, she ate, and she was happy from then on because she said, God's going to do it now. You need to start hearing God's voice because God's speaking. Right now, he's speaking to some of you. He's already spoken to some of you. And most of us, we're missing all the things God is saying to us because a lot of us, all we're looking for is we're looking for this little answer about some little thing in our life. Yet God wants to tell us so many things about a problem you're going to have this week that you don't even know you're going to have. And he's speaking to you right now. And he's sharing some things. And what you've got to do is you've got to get like Hannah, that you don't just say, oh God, but you say, God. And then you open your eyes and say, now where's the answer? I'm listening. I'm looking. I'm seeking. And it's coming to me. I believe my God always wants me to know what his will is. And so I'm listening. And I believe he's going to speak. And as soon as he speaks, that's it. It's all. Grab a hold of it and don't let go of it. Say, that's mine. It doesn't mean she didn't think about it anymore. It doesn't mean she didn't pray about it anymore. She went home and she was no longer sad because God had spoken. Here, listen. Listen, you moms that are struggling, so listen, God's got so much direction for you. You don't know, I, I, oh man, I'm just thinking about some of you and some of the stuff that you're going through, and I, I, just want, I just want to take some time here and say, okay, for this one, but I don't have that time. So you do it. Say, for me and my situation and what I, God has direction for me today. 
God has wisdom for me today. God has instruction for me. God has knowledge for me today. God has something to tell me today. And if nobody else hears anything but a sermon, I am going to hear the voice of God. And purpose to walk out of this place knowing that you have heard the voice of God for your situation. Mm. Real moms. Real moms. Let me give you one last one. But for, for first, let me introduce you to somebody. I, I guess the, um, the era of TV that was the most unrealistic when you're thinking about moms and families and how they, probably was the 50s. Y'all ever seen any of those old 50s sitcoms? If you thought the Brady Bunch was bad, go back and look for one of those black and whites. Let me introduce you to the mother of all mothers, as far as sitcom TV goes. She was perfectly coiffed, perfectly dressed. As a matter of fact, this TV mom only wore pants one time. One time, that was when they were working in the garden. Every other time you see her, she is in a dress. And I don't mean some little frock kind of a thing, you know I mean? She was in a dress, she was dressed. She was dressed, and she, she, she even wore high heels. She vacuumed in high heels. And, and, and her signature thing was, the one thing she's not, in, in most episodes, she wore a single strand of pearls around her neck. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Ah, oh, there you go. There she is, Miss June Cleaver. I mean, she is the mother of TV sitcom moms. Look at that hair. I mean, you know, she, she, can, go, she can go pitch the baseball with the boys in the backyard and still her hair looks like this. Look at the dress. This is June Cleaver right here. And see the pearls? There they are. <laughs> Lipstick and, you know, and, and the jewelry and everything. I tried to think of something. One thing that was real about her. You know what I realized? The writers of the show, they were, they took everything that was real about her and just kind of exaggerated so much. They made the real unreal. You know, they made the real unreal. There, there's nothing real about this. That's not life. Okay, let me hurry, but, but this one's so important. This one's so important. I gotta talk to you about Rahab. Rahab did not have life handed to her in a perfect little package like June Cleaver did. How do you, you, know, how do you, how do you end up like Rahab? When, when, we, when we meet Rahab, Rahab's a prostitute. Rahab hides two Jewish spies that have come in to check out Jericho and God's about to give them the city of Jericho and she recognizes that and, and she, says, she says, hey, I, I, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about your God. I want to serve your God. And so she, become, she becomes a follower of God because of this and God rescues her and, and, and they, they work out some details of a plan where when, when the Israelites overthrow the city, they make sure she and her family are not killed. But how does a girl, how does a young lady end up a prostitute? You ever think about those kinds of things? I do because I deal with that kind of stuff. People come to me. Let me remind you of something. I've said this to you before, and I've said it here recently. I've got to say it again right now. Don't judge anyone else because you don't know their demons. You don't know what they did, what they've dealt with. You don't know what they've struggled with. You don't know the road that has led them to the... And listen, I am not saying that there's anything in her past that made it okay for her to become a prostitute. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying before you start judging, you need to start looking around and say, wait a minute, where could I have been if it had not been for the grace and the mercy of the Lord? Or a mom that took me to church, or a dad who prayed with me, or, or, or a grandmother, or something. So before you start judging... 
You don't know the demons. Like rape, abuse, abandonment, poverty, fatherless, motherless. Perhaps she didn't have a mother to teach her what a young lady was. I'm not saying those are excuses, but these are the things that not only put young ladies in a place of making bad decisions, but they put all of us in the place of making bad decisions. So before we start pointing fingers and saying, yeah, yeah, well, no, we, we need to be really careful here. Because she did, what she did is she took the life that was handed her and she finished quite well. So here's the, here's, here's the challenge. The challenge is not, where are you today? The challenge is where you're going. Come on, li- listen to me, mom. Listen to me, dad. Your kids are going to follow you. Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean they're going to become who you are today. They are following your steps. And if your steps are walking farther away from God than to God, they're going to be following you. You might be in church today, but if you are backing away, they're going to be backing away too. But a man or a woman who is following after God, your children are going to follow in your steps and thereby they're going to be following and walking toward God. Because most of the time they don't become what we want them to be. Most of the time they become what we are, and in our walk, in the direction that we're heading, in the way that we, that we view things and see things and we take things. And so she took this life that she had. I don't know what the demons were that she was facing, but she took this life that she had and she made the best of it. She made the best of it. And, and, and here's what you've got to do. And she, she, she had to do this. You've eventually got to stop pointing your finger back at your past and pointing your finger at other people to, that you want to find to blame, and you've got to say, there are people and there are circumstances, situations in my past that have destroyed my past, but I refuse to allow them to dictate my future. Amen? You've got to decide. And she decided. She decided. And hope. Oh, this is a good one right here. You need to catch this. You know, a, a couple of months ago, I preached a sermon to you, maybe, maybe been three, four months ago now, the first sermon series of the year, I preached about bozos and boazes. Y'all remember that one? If you don't, ask somebody about it later, okay? Bozos and boazes. You know, and, and how, you know, and guys, we all have a little bozo in us, a little boaz in us, and it's just the one we nurture the most. That's, that's who we become. And, and young ladies, you need to realize that there's some bozo in every one of us and there's some boazes in every one of us. And you need to make sure you're following the guy that you're, you're trying to date or maybe even marry the guy who is becoming the boaz, okay? That, that's the kind of thing we were talking about. And, and, and here's, this is the decision she had to make. She had to choose. And let me tell you how she chose. She chose to marry. Some, some, some writings have suggested that she married one of those two spies that she hid. We don't know specifically, but we know she married a man named Salmon who was one of the Hebrews who followed after God. And she married him, and she began to have children with him. She decided that all of the abuse, whatever it was that caused her to live a life that she ended up a prostitute, and then all of the abuse during the time that she was a prostitute, all of that abuse, she had choose to, to say, that's over, it's done with. And she started facing the future and saying, I'm gonna make a life. I'm gonna make a future. And I'm not gonna allow this anymore to destroy this. That I'm gonna believe God's still got an awesome plan for my life. 
He's still dreaming big, beautiful dreams for my life. And you know what happened? Her great, great, you know who her great, great grandson was? If you heard me preach on Rahab earlier this year, you know, you might have forgotten, King David. Now that's important, right? Because, wow, King David was her great, great grandson. Let me tell you what's even more important about that is that the lineage of the kings was from King David. She was the great, great grandmother of the lineage of the kings of Israel. Solomon was her great, great, great grandson. This, so she had this lineage. How did the lineage take place? Because she said, I will not allow that that destroyed my past to dictate my future. And she became the mother of the lineage of the kings of all Israel. And if you follow the genealogy on down, you know who you find down there? You find Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This lady who said, yes, I've been abused, and I've been misused. She said, but I will not be. She became the ancestor of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But here's, to me, I mean, it just, it just doesn't get any better than this right here, okay? Do you know what the name of her first son was? Boaz. And not any Boaz, the Boaz, the gentleman, the one that the book of Ruth, yes, Ruth marries Boaz, the one that the book of Ruth in the Bible calls the kinsman redeemer. The, the, the picture, the symbol, the significance of who he is is showing us what Christ was like is that he is the redeemer that brings us out of our place. I'm at the, oh, that's who she was. That's who her life was. And so here, here, here's, here's the way I want to just paint the picture for you. Is this one, this woman who had been abused and used by all kinds of bozos all of her life, she chose to change things so that she birthed, she gave birth to the gentleman Boaz, the very namesake of the one that would be the antithesis of every man she'd ever known before. She gave us the most gentlemanly gentleman, uh, probably of, of all the scripture in the Bible, this this woman that had been abused and had, had everything taken from her, her dignity and everything, she is the one that raised this little boy to grow up to be. And, and you know, I can see that, right? I can see a woman who has been so abused for so long saying, but this is not what my family is going to be. Ahab rose from the ashes and she took her family with her because she said, this is not who we're going to be. We have a future. We, God has a dream for us and I am going to see that dream fulfilled. Yes, give him a hand of praise. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, please. And I would like to ask everyone to come forward. And if you will come together in families, and, and um, if you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front. I've got one last little thing I want to share with you. We'll have a word of prayer, and, and I'm going to sing one last song. You know, if there are multiple generations, that'd be wonderful to have grandmom and mom and the kids all together. You know, so if your mom's here or you're a mom, please get with your family and just getting ready for this final prayer. Man, you might have dealt with a lot of bozos in your past, but God wants to birth some Boazes through you. Amen. Mom, wouldn't it be nice? Okay, everybody take a step this way, please. Get some more feet. Give some more room. Thank you. Two steps. Man, that's awesome. I asked for one. I get three, three four, five. 
Moms, wouldn't it be wonderful if life was a sitcom? Everything comes at you in 22-minute segments, right? You have 97% perfect kids. They might get out of line just a little bit, but 97% of the time, they're perfect. You have a wardrobe department for the whole family. Never running late on Sunday morning trying to find that other shoe, you know, that I just found yesterday, and I put it somewhere that I can find it. No more of that. No more, no, no more clothes wearing out because you got a wardrobe apartment. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Come on, moms. I mean, <laughs> my goodness, wouldn't it be wonderful? And the perfect husband who always shows up, he comes in on cue at the right time, and he has the perfect thing to say because it's been handed to him in the script. They know exactly what he needs to say at this time, and he knows it too because he can just read it out. Wouldn't that be awesome? You don't have to say amen because he's probably standing beside you. I know. Okay, so I don't, I don't want to get you in too much trouble there. And what about a house without toilets and windows that have to be cleaned? I dare you, go home and Google Brady Bunch toilet and look at the pictures. You will see a bathroom that's got, in the foreground is the vanity, double sinks. I mean, they got two sinks. You can wash up all you want to wash. They got a bathtub right back here. You'll see it on the right in the back. You see it. And then there's a cabinet over here. There ain't no toilet. Wouldn't it be awesome, Mom, to not have to clean any more toilets? You know, it brings up a whole lot more questions, but at the same time, I mean, no windows. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the Brady Bunch has any windows except when they have one of those episodes that they need somebody to drop something out of a window. Then all of a sudden, boom, a window appears in the wall, right? But it would be wonderful to have all that. Or, or dishes that somebody else washes. Now, I know Carol Brady, she, she washed a couple of dishes in some episodes. And, uh, oh, because she had a housekeeper. That's why she didn't no, no, Alice washed a few. There were some times that she had to be washing dishes. But whenever they made a mess, there was a crew to clean up the mess and wash the dishes. Mom, would it not be awesome to be sitcom mom and have a crew to come in after every meal, after every spill, after every mistake, after every accident, after anything was broken and come in and just clean? It would be awesome to have that. And the last one up there, an unlimited number of retakes until you get it just right. Wouldn't that be awesome? But mom, that's not perfection. That's fantasy. It's some, written somewhere in a, you know, in a studio, or some writers are together. That, that, that's fantasy. That doesn't ever happen. That's why we're so thankful for you that we don't have fantasy moms. We have real moms. Thank you for being a real mom. Because Carol Brady wouldn't have gotten me through what my mom has had to get me through. The prayers I've heard my mom pray, I, 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 I don't know that Florence Henderson, that's the actress that played Carol, I don't know if she prays, but I never heard Carol Brady pray a prayer. Never had to. All she had to do was hang on for 21 more minutes and it was going to be over. <laughs> but I heard my mom hang on in a different way. Hanging on in prayer. We need real moms. Mom, and so I wanted to say all this today because I want to encourage you, keep being the real mom. Keep being the real mom that, that, that holds us accountable and, and prays and believes in us. That no matter how bad things get, the dream can still happen. If, if mom's there close to you, take her hand, put your arm around her shoulder or something. Let's have a word of prayer. Just pray over our families. I heard again this week, Somebody said, and you know, it sounds cliche, and it sounds like something we just repeat over and over as pastors, but there has never been a time 
in history that the family was under more attack than today. You want to know all the places? Ask me. Let's go, ha- let's go have coffee. You have coffee. I'll have sweet tea. But let's go have coffee. And, and I'll, I'll show you all the attacks on the family happening right now. We need strong families. This country needs, our culture, our communities need strong families today. They need women and men to stand up and be strong. Let's pray. Jamie, go ahead when you can.